Well, we're here for another Saturday morning. Just want to remind people that it's not about hearing the word. And it's not about hearing truth and accepting it. it it's about you discovering the reality of truth. Anybody who's seeking God with all of your heart, the stuff that we're bringing out is important truth. And we know it's truth. We profess it as truth. But in order for it to stick with anybody, you have to discover it, which means whatever we say may sound good or it may sound logical, but without digging into it, having conversation with Yah and discovering it for yourself, then you're not going to be able to apply what's necessary for the faith journey. And so just keep in mind that hearing things and, you know, hearing scripture and hearing other people talk is one thing, but being able to put it into action so that you can truly understand it is a key factor in the midst of uh, what we're doing. And we've said it before and we'll say it many times is that we don't want you to just listen to what we say and accept it as truth. Rather, we want you to listen to what we say, dig into it, and discover the truth of it. Uh, somewhere along the way, somebody may be able to uh, share some truth with us that we didn't see. Um, so just some important stuff for people to recognize as they listen and as they seek God with all of their heart. Have you ever wondered, is there more to the Word of God? than just words on the page? Join us for an in-depth journey into the truth of God by means of open, Socratic conversation. In Proverbs chapter 2, the Word of God says, If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Hidden Treasures Revealed. Well, Sean, how have you been doing the past couple of days? Oh, past couple of days have been, I would say, as we say, functional, um, learning experiences, having some struggles, but discovering things in the struggles, which is good. And um, this is just another good revisiting of something we just recently talked about and good information for people to discover. Yeah, it's just aspects of the reality of the gospel message that's important for all of us to understand. Uh, and I want to bring this out that the things that we talk about and the things we bring about about faith, the stuff that God talks about, there's a level that, of achievement that you can have from a worldly perspective on all the areas of the gospel message, seeking with all of your heart, the believing, the repent, the obedience, the trust, all those things. In regards to sin, 
you, you cannot do it. Because as long as you have the sinful nature in your heart, you don't have the capability to not sin and to uh, not achieve these things from the God perspective. But that doesn't mean you don't try because you do have the ability to control your own mind. You just don't have the ability to control sin until circumcision of the heart. And so it's really important that people recognize that you can put into practice from worldly perspectives things that we talk about, about seeking things with all of your heart, which you already do, and re- and um, believing in things, which you already do, and repenting in things. The difference is, is that you can't optimize it, and you can't do it uh, to the fullness of faith without faith in God. That's, that's an absolute, and that is what will uh, cleanse you and clarify you for the next life to come. And for you to know these things uh, is important, but you can put it into practice in your everyday life where you, and you do, um, it's still based in selfishness, but use the concepts to be able to see the reality of what we're saying is true and it can be carried out in the worldly. So if you figure out how to carry it out in a worldly perspective, then you can figure out how to carry it out in the godly perspective as well. And so it's really important that do experiments and samples like we talked about how you can change your mind on things that you drink or things that you eat or things that you don't drink and things that you don't eat so that you can dislike things that you like now and you can... I uh, like things that you don't like now. So there's a, there's a balance in it. And all you have to do is pick something. And then through repetition, you keep convincing yourself that you like it. And eventually you will like it. That's, that's just a fact of it. But that's good for a worldly thing. And it kind of goes to, uh, this scripture came to mind with uh, Paul T. Uh, speaking to Timothy, that uh, worldly training is of some good, but godly training is for this life and the, the life to come. So worldly training, so train yourself in some of these areas. You know, seek after something with all of your heart and figure out if you don't get it, which all you have to do is evaluate, evaluate your life because you have sought after things, the things that you have in your life, you sought after them with all of your heart. Now there, yes, there are some things that have been gifted to you or somebody given to you or, but think about something that you pursued to, to an education or a car or a, a, a master's of an education or whatever it is that you had to pursue that and you had to seek it out with all of your heart. So from a worldly perspective, you walk the gospel message to achieve whatever it was that you were going after. You set your mind with absolution. That's what you wanted, and nothing was going to stop you. And so you've repented to it, and then you obey all the things necessary for you to get it, and then you trust that you're going to get it, and then finally you get it. So 
what we talk about with the gospel message is applicable to the lives of people listening to this, whether you have the fullness of faith or not, whether you're seeking God with all of your heart. The objective goal is that train yourself in these things from a worldly perspective, and then it will help you to understand the spiritual. It's like train yourself not to accept divorce in this world so that you won't, you'll understand that that correlates to you divorcing God. If you accept divorce in this world, then that leaves you open to a divorce of God when you get, you know, if you get to circumcision of the heart, and by that time, hopefully you've changed your mind on the aspect of divorce, because that's what it's there for. It's there to, sh- to show you that, look, there's a lot of pain and uh, stuff involved in divorce. Don't divorce, work it out, figure it out. And if both people carry out the concepts that we're going to talk about today, they can mend what's broken in their marriage, but that'll only benefit them for this life. It won't benefit them for the life to come unless they figure out how to do that, transfer it from what they did in the world to change that to what they do for the heavenly perspective to get uh, in that place of circumcision of the heart where you have the ability to not sin and to do these things that we've been talking about. Uh, But I really think it's important that we want to make it clear that you can't optimize and you can't do it from a faith perspective without God. With man, this is impossible from a faith perspective because you cannot, you cannot do anything with sin until mother removes sin from your heart. Once the sin's removed from your heart, then you have the ability to uh, carry these things out from a godly faith perspective. And so it really is important that people can look into their lives. You don't even have to achieve something now to see it. Go back in your life and you know you better than anybody. And you know the times where you set your mind and you were going to do something and you ended up doing it. And I can promise you from the worldly perspective, you walked out the gospel message. And the reason God allows that to happen from the worldly perspective is so that there's no excuse in the end for anybody to say, well, I didn't know how to do it. Nobody taught me. No, you taught yourself the gospel message in the things you wanted for self. Do the same thing, but don't want them for self, want them for God. And that will transfer you to a beautiful place of faith with circumcision of the heart in order to be able to achieve more and more a better life and to live a life where you are pleasing to God and you are pleasing to man or woman as well, to mankind. Now, not everybody's going to accept this message. It's not our message. It's God's message. And a lot of people aren't going to accept the truth. And look at what Revelation talks about with the two witnesses in Jerusalem that are going to be sharing 
this same truth and more, and people are going to want to kill them for it, but they're not going to be able to touch them. In that day, God will have them protected until the right time, and then God will allow them to be put to death. They will lay dead in the streets for three and a half days, and then God will raise them back to life, kind of like the uh, story of the dry bones. And then the people will stand there in amazement and fear because where do you see that happen? And for that to happen, it has to be of the power of God for that to happen. So uh, as we get into talking about forgiveness and repentance, these are things that you can apply in your life, you know, from the worldly perspective. In order for you to apply it to God, you have to start at the beginning of the journey and you have to make a decision that you want it. And it doesn't matter what it costs to you that you're going to get it. And then you start you make the decision you're going to seek with all of your heart. And then as you seek with all of your heart in a circular perspective, not linear, not ending, as you do that, then God will walk you through the steps of the gospel message. Somebody won't have to say, okay, now do this. Now do this. Now do this. No. If you're seeking with all of your heart, you will receive the uh, promise from God, which is, you will know them. And so all you have to do is seek with all of your heart and make sure that 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 seeking is a diligent, 100% full committed perspective in your mind. And then God will guide you along the journey and along the journey, have conversations with Abba and uh, telling them that you want to know the truth. And, but don't tell them you want to know the truth. If you really don't want to know the truth, if you're worried about how it's going to feel, then don't ask for the truth because in a sinner's life and a sinner's body, the truth doesn't feel good. That's a fact of it. So, Sean, you got any thoughts right now as we're getting into this? None? Okay. No, <laughs> no that's not happening. going to just piggyback off of what you're saying about the what you can do. And the way this was brought up is we were talking about a, a statement was made of, well, you can only be self-controlled at circumcision of the heart and understand where the concept is. And, and I've had practice with this is you have something that comes on your mind and you know what you mean to say, but getting it across to somebody so that it can make sense and it won't leave area for questions is just a continual practice to be able to understand what self-control is and not that we'll know the absolute perfected aspect, but the understanding of when it says, when it's talking about the fruit of the spirit, that one of the aspects of the fruit is self-control that unless you have sin removed from your lower conscience, you cannot, in the fullness of it, control yourself because the lower conscience is being controlled by sin. So with mother, you can control, you have the ability now to control your lower, 
and your upper conscience to where you can truly have the godly self-control, meaning that from Yah's aspect that everything that they do, they know why they're doing it. There's a purpose. There's a reason that the lower conscience and the upper conscience are working together in that unity, in that perfection. That's what we're able to have with the fullness of faith that we can have the ability now to know what is in the lower conscience and be able to control it where before sin was the master and we weren't able to control what we were doing. We didn't know what we were doing. Just like when Messiah had said to the people, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Any other aspects in the word of God where these people don't know their left hand from their right because they've got sin controlling them. They don't really know what they're doing in their they do things, but do you know the reason? Do you know why? No, because you're not in the process of being having the fullness of self-control. And you can have self-control in your mind because how would you stop doing things and start doing other things and somebody hits you and you decide I'm not going to retaliate? So you, you can you have aspects of self-control, but as you said at the beginning, the goal of this is to have the godly life, and that's why with circumcision of the heart, you have the ability to produce fruit, have the fruit of the spirit because of having sin out of your heart. So yes, there has to be the physical first and then the spiritual second. When Messiah was teaching, what did he do to those that weren't his disciples? He spoke to them in parables. He spoke to them in a physical aspect so that because they weren't perceiving spiritually to drive them to seek God with all their heart. What did he do with the disciples? Well, when he was with them privately, let me explain the parable, right? Because you're in a position of repentance towards God. So now I'm going to open the door to where you can understand the spiritual aspect because as Yah, as even Messiah said with the parables, hearing, they don't hear, seeing, they don't see, they don't perceive. It's been given to them in parables because their hearts and minds have been blinded. And Messiah said, lest they turn and I would heal them, lest they turn to God in repentance, then you'll be able to, I'll be able to heal you by you applying the spiritual aspect of it. So the, and it's in the creation of God, what came first, the first Adam was in the physical and the second Adam, which is Messiah is the spiritual. So it goes with the, we talked about this with the old and the new covenant, that you have to have the physical first in order to understand the spiritual. And Messiah even said that if I bring to you physical things and you don't understand, how will you understand spiritual things? It's not the spiritual first and then the physical. What happens is with, and we've come from this in Christianity, is you go to the spiritual first and it doesn't, it doesn't work. You can attempt to make it work in your mind. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to, yeah, blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are the meek. And yeah, yeah, that, that's what I'm doing. And you're just supposed to love everybody. Yeah, but you're not capable of love, which the only definition of love is Yah's perspective, true love. You, you can't love from the actual true spiritual aspect unless you die to self first. You have to go through the physical. Then the spiritual. It doesn't go the other way. And j just with any law, you try to bypass the law. You can't. Uh, the law is set in place. 
And it's just like I had this thought driving over this morning that what did the the way this is laid out is it's law to the proud, grace to the humble. Where does it start? The Old Testament doesn't start with grace. And yes, grace is always there, but you're given the law first. Why? So that you can put to death the pride and have humility, therefore transfer to the spiritual side. So the way Yah has laid this out is the law is given first to show you who you are before a holy God, to ultimately break you, to realize you're a sinner, to get you to repent. Then when you repent, then you have the aspect where you can figure out how to obey God and how that works. And the spiritual side opens up to it. And then you can ultimately have the the fullness of faith. But what's important about what we're talking about, and just going back to what you said at the beginning about people discovering this on their own, is that if you don't understand what a concept is, then you're not going to be able to carry it out and understand it. If you don't understand what it means to repent to God and what the truth of it is, then you're not going to be able to walk in it. And the teaching out in the world with repent is that repent means you feel sorry. Well, I feel sorry for my sins, so I repented to God. And no, repentance has nothing to do with sorrow. We could go out here and just make a mind change that I'm not doing this anymore. And I don't have any sorrow. I don't, I just, I'm making a turn. I'm not going that direction. Well, we could go north or south. Well, I'm not going north anymore. I'm going south. Well, I just repented. I just turned and went another direction. The sorrow, the godly sorrow, is to drive you to repent. But it's godly sorrow, meaning it's not to the world, but it's to God that you're, you have sorrow for sin. And because you're sorrow for that, you're willing to do whatever it takes to make amends for you breaking the law of God. You make a conscious decision to turn from sin. You repent to God. It, it's a turn. It's that one-time turn with full commitment to I'm never returning to the life of sin again, even though I can't accomplish accomplish it right now. Like you said, I'm going to try and I'm going to do my best to get away from sin because I don't want to sin anymore. I want to obey God. Then you start walking and seeking after, well, continually seeking God. You turn from old ways to their ways. You start learning what Yah's ways are. And whenever something comes to your attention, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm doing what God says. Well, that's the repentance. It's what comes after repent. And you continue the journey of a full commitment to changing your life to line up with the things of God. And then that will bring about you obeying God because as you learn the things of God, you make a decision. Okay, well, I'm going to do what God says. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to obey God. And you'll be tested in that. And you'll be tested in that commitment to repentance with Abba first. And as we talked about before, then you'll go to Yeshua. You'll be brought to him because you're fully committed to obeying God. Okay, well, I'm going to show you what true obedience is. It's not just in your mind. It's from the heart as well that I'm going to show you that, yes, you understand that adultery means that you would cheat on your spouse, but I'm going to show you the deeper spiritual aspect is adultery is even if you lust after somebody, that the depth of it goes deeper spiritually. So when you obey God from this aspect, this is what the spirit of it means. 
and then you continue to trust in God, continue to not lean on your own understanding. But, and as we, we're going to be getting into about the forgiveness, that repentance is a turn in a direction because you can not only repent to God, you can repent to people, you can repent to the enemy. So there's repentance is a change of direction and then walking in that direction. So if you repent to God, you're going to repent from the enemy. So the the aspect of this is is that the the godly sorrow will produce repentance that leads to salvation, but just feeling sorry doesn't mean that well, you re, you repent to God because you'll hear people just repent and they'll be all emphatic. Well, it's true. Turn to God. That's the main thing. Turn to God with everything, willing to not go back. And from the Hebrew, the word repent is a picture of burning down the house. It'd be like if you had a house that they just have these wildfires in uh, Hawaii. You have a house that's burned down that the goal is you're not going to return to it. So it's it's meaning that you leave that house and you never go back again. So what God is saying is turn from your life of sin, which is ungodly, and turn to me with everything with the intention of never going back again, never looking back. Just like with Lot's wife with why did she turn into a pillar of salt? Because she longed to go back when God said, leave the city and don't go back. And that's a beautiful picture of, of your life of sin is Sodom and Gomorrah is get out of the city and don't look back. Keep going. Well, if you long to look back, then you're going to be turned into a pillar of salt. Obey God and and leave your life of sin. Leave Sodom and Gomorrah and get away from it. So even in the Old Testament, we have a picture of leaving your life of sin. So those are the thoughts that I, that I had so far this morning. In the scripture... Sorrow comes before repentance. Uh, One of the scriptures that you touched on, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Worldly sorrow brings regret. This tells you the difference between the two, that you can have sorrow and still not repent. Godly sorrow is when you feel bad about what you've done and you're willing to do whatever it takes to change that. That will lead you to repentance. And this is uh, worldly repentance as well. Uh, Worldly sorrow just leads to regret. And what that means is that you're regretting something that you did in your life. You have sorrow because of it, and there's a guilty feeling that well, I feel I feel guilty that I, I know I shouldn't have done these things to these people, and it happens in uh, when uh, parents leave and leave the kids with another with one of the other parents and and don't have anything to do with them or um they uh get a divorce you get a divorce or something there's always times where people will feel the weight 
and the guilt of what they've done to somebody else. And they'll make an attempt to reach out to that person from one way or another, but it won't carry through to a sincere apology to change the life. It just, a lot of times they'll, and I've seen this happen with uh, kids who've had their, uh, one of their parents leave them and then that parent starts feeling guilty and they contact that kid later on and they make promises to the kid that I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to make up the difference. And then as soon as their guilty feeling goes away, all the promises that they made go away. And that leaves a kid standing there, you know, and when I say a kid, I mean, you can be in your thirties, forties, fifties, still reeling from that effect that that had because somebody made a promise of repentance to you and but they only did it because they felt guilty for what they did but they didn't want to really change their life and it's sad because people are left with uh, these huge holes in their life because they don't understand you know it daddy cheated on on mama or mama cheated on daddy and it's not right but everybody even churches aren't uh, rebuking people for committing adulteries and doing those things and even if if you're going to continue these adulteries then we're putting you out of the gathering because we're not going to have that as a part of the church of christ and you don't see that and then Uh, People get hurt bad, and a lot of times when you get hurt bad, that's when you turn around and you do things that you will regret later on uh, in life. And that song we listened to on uh, Wednesday, um, or no, we didn't listen to it. We talked about uh, if I could turn back time. That's a a great example of a worldly perspective of somebody who's feeling guilty but and having sorrow for their guilt but not willing to do what's necessary to make it right. It's all about, well, I screwed up so I can't make it right. If I could turn back time, then I take back all the things that I said and then you'd stay and it's like, you don't understand that you can do that now. A lot of marriages in the world could be rescued and saved from the worldly perspective if people would do this very thing by having the sorrow for what they've done and then having the sorrow to the point where it drives you to make up your mind that I don't agree with it and I'm going to fight this to the best of my ability because I don't agree with it. I'm not going to be like that. And that's the key thing that people are looking for when they've been wronged. They're looking for you to have sorrow, true sorrow for what you've done and a willingness to change. That can cover a a multitude of sins by your turning to somebody in true 
sorrow and letting them know that this uh, I wronged you, but a lot of times that gets turned into, well, you did this and this is, and you start making excuses as to why you did what you did instead of own, own what you did. People don't recognize that when they got married, that they didn't know each other. They were going after a pipe dream and they were both faking it, trying to be something that they weren't. And then when their true colors come out, then, well, you don't love me anymore. Well, you've changed. And the reality is, is that you just don't recognize that you've been putting on a play and you don't feel sorry for it. And truly, I know this from experience that if you, uh, with the true heart of repentance, with the idea of knowing that I am wrong in doing this and I'm going to make a difference, that makes all the difference in the world for the other person. It doesn't mean like if you repent to somebody, they may not even know what you were doing. A lot of times we, we have uh, people who are um, addicted to pornography and you hide it. Well, why do you hide it? Because you know it's wrong. But if you come to a place where you truly recognize that it's wrong and that you don't want to be doing that anymore because you know it affects the other person, whether they know it or not, then you can go to that person and say, Hey, you, you don't know that I've done this, or maybe you do know that I've done this, but I want you to know that I don't agree with it. And I'm, I'm working at my uh, hardest for what I can do that. I'm not going to do that again because I know that it affects you and I don't want it to affect you that way. Well, that's the heart of repentance. You, but you have to have you have to have true sorrow. And again, a lot of times people are taught to just apologize. You know, it's not about feeling bad for what you've done and apologizing. You see it in discipline with kids. You know, one kid strikes the other one or does something to the other kid. Go apologize to your, your brother or your sister because you did that. Go apologize. And so they go, I'm sorry. Okay, everything's good. No, it's not. Because the person that you struck, they don't know you you mean it. They don't you don't have this contrite mindset that you're broken because of your mistreatment of the other person. When we get caught up in how the other person mistreated us so I can justify what I've done to you instead of accept that what I've done to you, regardless of what you've done to me, I did this to you and I was wrong. And I had uh, a time before circumcision of the heart where I brought the, uh, pornography pornography thing and self-satisfaction perspective of masturbation to my wife and I told her and I because I did I had sorrow for it I didn't want to be I didn't want to do that and I knew that it had an effect and yeah at first you know sometimes that's 
those things are hard to hear, but it made a huge difference in our relationship because one, it put me on a journey of getting to a place of getting rid of that. And it also put a, a, a good perspective of her being able to see that I can own when I'm wrong and not trying to say, well, because you did this or because uh, this didn't happen, that's why I did this. No, I did it because it was because I wanted it. It was uh, selfish. It's, uh, I, it's not appropriate. I don't agree with it. I'm not going to be like that. So even before circumcision of the heart, from uh, that perspective, I was able to uh, repent to her and turn to her in the agreement that it's it's not acceptable, it's not okay, and I'm not going to agree with it. And then you start going to a process of change, so both parties need to understand that it's not going to go away right away. So on your side, you're not going to just, it's you've got a process and you've got to program yourself to despise that stuff rather than to like it. And on the other side, they have to give you the uh, the time to know that you're still going to have uh, instances in the journey of programming that are going to rise up. And the key is, is what is your intention? That is the key factor behind whether a marriage or a relationship can be rebuilt is based on your intention. Is your intention just to, to feel good because, well, I did this thing and so I'm going to tell you I'm sorry so that uh, you'll accept it and then I'll feel better about myself? Or, no, I, I really want to change my life in this area and I'm going to prove to you that I'm going to change. Even if, even if it doesn't change uh, or it changes little bits at a time, you will be putting out the full effort because of your sorrow for being wrong and sorrow for wronging that person. Then, and you'll see that if you do that, the other person will be open and they will come around and you can, uh, you can mend a lot of things in a worldly marriage perspective through repentance and through sorrow, the, the key is, is honestly, stop saying sorry to people if you really don't mean it, if you really don't feel it, if you don't have that contrite feeling within you, don't say you're sorry because if you do, you're going off the programming of the world that you've been programmed that, well, if I say I'm sorry, then that makes it better. God, I'm sorry I sinned against you and forgive me and I believe your son came and died for my sins. No, there's no sorrow in that. And then unfortunately, you get people who truly have a break in their, their life where they know that they've had they they have that sorrow and but they're not taught to repent to God. They're they're taught to well, just accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then you feel good again. No, that's not how it works. When you, if you hit an absolute broken, where you've hit rock bottom, 
that's when you can start climbing back up. But that's when you have to repent to God. That's when you recognize in your sorrow what you've done against God. And when you recognize what you've done against God, it will break you if you have true sorrow. And then that sorrow will lead you to repent to God. If it if that if you have that deep sorrow and you don't repent to God where you can get away from sin, then you just had worldly sorrow and then it will subside and then it will come back and it will keep coming back as a reminder that you haven't settled the issue when it comes to having the the sorrow that leads to repentance because the sorrow that leads to repentance is once I make this decision for God, I will not turn back from it. I, I will not change my mind on it because I know it's the right thing and I'm going to figure this out. And then you start a journey. Uh, okay, God, I believe everything about you, but I don't understand things and I don't know about them. So I need your help to teach me, to show me what it is that I need to, to have and see and do in order to carry this out. And you will, when you express sorrow to somebody, you will have it in your mind that I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that doesn't happen again. Instead of, well, I'm sorry. I mean, people do it all the time because you're programmed that way. And I know you've had this where you're walking in the grocery store, or you're walking in a store and you round the corner the same time somebody else rounds the corner. And what do both people say? Sorry. Right. Both people say sorry. And then you walk on about your business. There's no, I, uh, no feeling. You don't have a feeling of, man, I really messed up bad. And, and this, this is, I'm going to make sure that I stop and I look around every corner before I walk through, because I don't want to, I don't want to run into somebody like that because that's not right. And I, no, you just keep on walking and you could go through the store and without you even recognizing it, you'll apologize to 20 different people and not even know that you did because you're programmed that way that you, or you, you think it's an apology where, well, we both rounded the corner. Oh, okay. I'll move out of your way. Well, you know, what's interesting about that. If there was true repentance in that, if you were the store owner at Walmart, you would make all the corners round so that you could see around every corner <clears throat> and there would be no way that anybody could hit each other because no, I'm going to make sure I'm not going to run into anybody and I'm not going to wrong this person. So I'm going to make sure that there are no square aisles that you can see around every single corner to where there's no opportunity for anybody to hit each other. Now we've got something that you really are truly committed to where I'm really sorry. And I don't know if you've had this and this is programming. Somebody bumps into you, excuse me, meaning excuse you, meaning that you want me to forgive you for, or excuse this behavior, you know, forgive me for this. I didn't mean to do it. And it's just, people aren't thinking about, no, I really want to be excused because I, I really, I didn't mean to do this. And it's just a, a programming thing. It's just something that's, you just say it as a courtesy. Right. Because, and it's not even a courtesy, honestly, 
it's a, I mean, yes, you can look at it as a courtesy, but it's really an excuse that you're, I'm trying to excuse that I ran into you where well, I didn't do it with malice. I didn't do it with intention. It's not like I took my cart and all right, somebody's coming around the corner. I'm going to ram, I'm going to round this corner hard and I'm going to hit them hard and well, you wouldn't you wouldn't have sorrow for that anyway because there's uh, that's an in, like intentional sin that's an intentional act, and you you're not going to be sorry. That's right. Get out of my way. I deserve to be here. But too many times, it's not the fact that people can't heal the issues in relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's friends whether it's family, it's not that they can't be healed. It's that people aren't taught how to heal. And the Bible tells you how to do that, okay? You, you have to have sorrow. You have to truly, when you have sorrow, you feel it. That's called contrition. And you will show that no, I, I I am sorry for doing this, and and I'm not. I don't want you to accept my words. I want you to watch my life, and I'm going to prove to you that I'm sorry, and I'm not going to blame you for what I did. I'm going to take the responsibility upon myself in order to uh, change what I know is wrong. But you have to know what's wrong. And that's a tough one, though you can do these things from a worldly perspective. It's going to be tough because you're fighting against your own selfishness that, well, yeah, you better say sorry to me. Well, why would you say, if somebody says sorry to you, why would you say, well, you better say sorry, even if you just say it in your mind because, well, it's about me and you you wrong me and well, did I really wrong you or did you just perceive I wronged you? Because I was in a rush and I came around the corner the same time you did. Then you take it as an attack on you rather than, oh, you know what? Hey, things happen. No big deal. Let's go on. But we don't understand how to feel sorry when we wrong somebody else. We know how to feel sorry when we've wronged ourselves or when we don't feel right. And we know how we want other people to feel sorry when they've wronged us. And that's a good clue in it is when you wrong somebody else, then go to them in the way that you would want them come them to come to you when you wronged them. You, you go to them in a way that you would want them coming to you. If they wronged you and they came to you with a broken spirit, you know, hey, I recognize that this hurts you and uh, I, I want you to know that I don't agree with that and I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done it and I'm going to let you see that over my life that you're going to see that I'm not doing that anymore. And so people know how to say sorry but true sorrow comes with a, a contrite spirit 
which a contrite spirit will put you in a position to want to make it right. And when you want to make it right, then make it right by setting your heart that you're never going to do that again. And then you might have the opportunity to express that sorrow. But even if you don't have the opportunity to express that sorrow to the person that you did wrong, if you have true sorrow, it still stop you from changing your mindset. I mean, it could have been somebody that has already died that you did wrong. I can't make it right. Yeah, you can by walking out and working through the sorrow of what you did to them so that you don't do it to somebody else. And it, it carries out uh, that perspective, but it's a lot of uh, the, the unknown, the not knowing and the not having the information necessary is why people will just continue to go with their programming. Sorry. Sorry. Tell your brother you're sorry. Tell your sister you're sorry. Tell your wife you're sorry. Just just tell her, and that'll make things better. Because that's what you teach kids when you tell them to apologize without them feeling the guilt of what they've done. You teach them to, well, I said I was sorry. Well, if you say it that way, then you weren't sorry. Because... There's no contrition in it. And contrition is a true part of sorrow. And if it's real sorrow, you're going to feel the weight of it. And you're going, it's going to break you down. Then you have the opportunity to either let it subside and then continue to live your life without making any kind of uh, direction change or... You can use it to make a direction change and say, no, I recognize I was wrong in this behavior and I'm not going to do like, I'm not going to be like this anymore. And then you go through this steadfast process of changing it because that's the exact same process it takes for uh, turning to God, that you have to have the godly sorrow. And when you have that godly sorrow, it will have the contrition. You will have a contrite heart. And because you have a contrite heart, no, I don't want to be wrong before God. I want to be right. I'm going to do whatever's necessary to make it right. And then God says, okay, now I, we know because we're going to watch your actions. And every time it comes up, no, I don't agree with it. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm doing what's right. And God's okay with that. They're all right, well, we can see that you're you're getting better and you're improving. We know that you haven't completely overcome it, but we're not going to hold it against you. Well, just as well as a husband or a wife, when somebody comes with them to them with true contrition, that you have to give them time to process through the change of not doing whatever it was that they were doing because they did it for so long in their life. Now they have to learn a new perspective but this would save <clears throat> this what we're talking about today if applied appropriately could save many many if not all relationship issues that are involved because everybody who's been wronged just wants to know that the person who wronged them knew that they wronged them.
and don't agree with it and are trying to make the change. That right there make a difference in your employment, your marriage, your dating relationships, your your husband and wife, your your uh, parents to kids, your siblings, all across the board. But you have to learn, if you have young kids, you have to learn to teach them how to be sorry for actions that they've done. Well, how do you teach them? You show by example that when you've done something wrong, even if it's to a young child, if you didn't act appropriately, then you own the repentance, you own the contrition, you own the sorrow for it, and you let them see, hey, I'm really sorry for what I've done, and I can tell you I'm sorry, but I'm going to show you that I'm sorry for what I've done, and I'm going to make a change, and it will make things better, but you that's how you train the kids. You can't just tell them, well, you got to feel bad and say you're sorry, but don't say you're sorry if you don't feel bad. And no, they have to see it in action because that's how kids are programmed. They're going to be like their parents. So if you start a regiment of not worrying about what somebody else has done to you and just fixing the things that you've done wrong to other people and showing the sorrow when you recognize that you were wrong, now you're teaching that child because they will learn how to do that by your example, just like we were to learn how to be a man of sorrows through Messiah's example of his contriteness towards sin against God, that he didn't even consider uh, equality to God to be grasped in this human form that he had. How does a couple actually... Two scriptures come to mind. The first one is that Yah gives instructions on this. And that's why don't set aside the Old Testament because the Old Testament, the gospel message is there. And this goes right along with repentance. And it says, we've mentioned this before, and it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. So the healing is released when you do your part. And I had the other scripture was, I was thinking about this this morning, which referred to as the Lord's prayer, which what Messiah was teaching was, this is a template. This is a mindset when you have conversation with Yah. And he says, Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The forgiveness aspect of this, when us as believers, when we talk to God and we say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, that's showing that you have a heart of mercy towards the other person. And with repentance and forgiveness, I had this thought of that the repentance is the key that unlocks the door to release the forgiveness because Yah has a heart to forgive. But if there's no repentance to God, 
then Yah will not release the forgiveness to the other person. It's the same thing that you can want to forgive somebody, but until they repent, you're not going to be able to have the fullness of that forgiveness and the other person's not going to benefit from it because in that, in that template of prayer, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those. Because if you do not forgive somebody of their sins, then your father in heaven will not forgive you. So it goes with repentance is that the baptism of water is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So if there's no repentance to God, then Yah's not going to be able to forgive you of your sins. So it has to be a genuine, true contrition. And the way to have that contrition is you have to have the sorrow for what you've done and really own it. And that you have to make it clear that, Yah, this is not about what other people have done to me. This is about what I've done to you. And when you were talking earlier, it made me think of David when he had the relationship with Bathsheba and had the child and Yah was on, I mean, David was on his face before Yah pleading with Yah and asking for the child to be saved. And he had contrition towards God. He knew that he sinned against God and he got himself into that situation and just pleading for God for mercy. And the child passed away and what happened? He got up, he washed his face, he moved on. And that's the thing is that, and I remember hearing this, we were talking about the teaching a while back about the hell's best kept secret. And I remember hearing a statement of this is that people will repent horizontally, meaning like that I've wronged you, I've wronged other people, but they don't repent vertically. That the repentance is to be towards God. And it's got to be that against you, God alone, have been the one that I've sinned against. You're the one that I've, I've wronged in my life, and I'm going to change that. I'm going to make the effort to make amends. And that's the thing is that what you was looking for is you having the heart to make amends, even though that you yourself, you can't remove sin from your heart, but you're willing to make amends to make it right. And Abba sees that you have a heart to make it right. Okay. Well, because you've shown that, I'll, I'm going to forgive you of your sins. But this is to move on to my son where you can have a place where you don't sin. But you have to be proved in the aspect of that you don't want anything to do with sin anymore before I bring you to a place where it can be taken away from you to where how bad do you really want to get away from this? And that'll be proved in your actions. And you prove that you actually really want to get away from it with all your heart, then okay. Well, I'll show you the way to get rid of that so that we can have peace with each other. And one of the points of the gospel message is to bring a message of reconciliation, to bring people to a point where they're reconciled to God. Well, you can't be reconciled to God unless you repent to them first and walk in repentance because it's your actions that prove that you want to be reconciled to God because you recognize that you've wronged God and that you want to be reconciled. And Yah made a way to be to have the reconciliation so that in Messiah, that we're called to be ambassadors for Christ and to bring this message of truth to people to be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Well, the only way to do that is you've got to turn to them first and they've got to be willing through your repentance to be reconciled to you. So you go to Yah for reconciliation first and then, okay, well then I will be reconciled to you. And it just came to mind that Yah has the the desire to forgive, 
But if there's no repentance, then they are not able to then release that forgiveness to the other person. And we know that from the truth of God, because it's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, because there's not going to be any forgiveness of sins if there's no repentance. But it just made me, it made, it came to my mind that you can have the mindset that you truly want to forgive, but that forgiveness cannot be complete unless the person comes to you. Like I can say, Phil, I really just, um, I really want to release you from this to forgive you, but that can't come full circle unless you repent to me to where I really see that you're truly sorry. And then that will bring them on my desire to extend mercy to you because mercy is when you, when you're in a situation where you have the authority to condemn somebody, but you relent from the punishment that's coming to the person. Well, what would make you want to have mercy on somebody would be, wow, I really see that this person really did not mean to do this and they really want to change this. So I'm I'm willing to extend mercy for that because I see that you're truly sorry for what you've done. But if you throw it in my face and say, no, I'm not sorry, then I'm not going to extend mercy to you because you haven't proven to me that you're truly sorry for what you've done. So if somebody says they're sorry, the, the sorry is proved in your change of conduct. It's not meaning that you do it perfectly in a perfected way. It's just that if you really tell me, hey, I just want to let you know I'm truly sorry for this, then the the proof to me that you're truly sorry is, wow, I'm really seeing a change of behavior in this person. Okay, well, I'll forgive you for that because I can really tell by your change of conduct that you really have a desire to get away from this. And that's the key in all this is it's about what you say in your actions not what you say in your words. And you, you hit it right on the head a few times. Just sorry, sorry. We even have a board game in the world called sorry. And are people really sorry when they play the game? No, it's just a game of, Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to do it because you're trying to remove blame from yourself by saying sorry. But if you really have true sorrow, you own the blame and say, Hey, I'm, I'm not looking to remove blame here. I'm putting the blame squarely where it is. It's on me. I'm not making excuses. And see, that's the other thing. It, it is a turn. Repent is a turn, but repentance is I'm not making excuses for anybody else. I'm not saying it's anybody else's fault. I'm pointing the finger solely at me, God. It's me. Just like the Taylor Swift song. Hey, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Yeah, I'm the problem. You're holy. You're perfect. I'm the one that's transgressed your law. I'm the one that's wrong in this. And I'm going to change this because I want to be right in your sight. Well, with that, okay, you're not making excuses. You're wanting to do what is right before me. And okay, I will forgive you of your sins, but know this, that you know, I'm going to move you on to my son because the next step is to walk in obedience to us. And he is your example. So follow his example in this. So it just came to mind with the forgiveness part is that you can have the willingness to forgive, but ultimately for that forgiveness to come to have healing on both sides, that the person has to come and repent in order for that forgiveness to be released to them. It's important to understand that with forgiveness and repentance, they're both one-sided that work together. And I'm going to give some clarification on that because it's important for people to understand that 
forgiveness is for one person. Repentance is for the other person. And they are intended to be independent in your mind, not tied together. They'll tie together when each person is carrying out their aspect in their mind from the right perspective, then it will become full circle. So forgiveness is one side of a wrong where repentance is the other side of a wrong. But you don't make a determination of whether you're going to forgive based in somebody else's repentance, and you don't make a determination you're going to repent based in somebody else's forgiveness. That's Now, when it comes to God, that's uh, you have to repent to God to receive the forgiveness. But as, as it pertains to man, each one of those is independent, but they work together for the greater good. So if you've wronged somebody, doesn't matter if they forgive you. It, it doesn't matter. What matters is, is if you have a contrite heart about the sorrow that you have for what you've done, doesn't matter if they, they don't forgive me. I, I'm going to still do what is right to do, and I'm going to fix the behavior. Then you give that other person the opportunity to forgive by you changing your behavior. But we're going to go to the other side. If you're the one that has been wronged, then God says you don't you don't offer forgiveness when you see repentance. No, you offer forgiveness without seeing repentance. It's what Messiah did when he was on the cross. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And again, like you you had just uh, said, it's the uh, forgiveness from that perspective is you having the heart that you want them to be forgiven. But you're forgiving that person is not going to make somebody else repent. And you repenting is not going to force somebody else in the world to forgive you. Your objective goal should be whatever side you're on. If you were wronged, God says, why not rather be wronged and have the heart of forgiveness? Because truly, somebody can't be forgiven by God without repentance. But they have the heart of forgiveness for you because the opportunity is there so that when you do repent, then that repentance with God's forgiveness coming together then makes it whole so that now you have the repentance and the forgiveness that bring about the salvation. And you can look at that from a marriage perspective. If you have the repentance on one side uh, and the forgiveness on the other, they come together then you have a uh, renewed marriage. Just it, it's a, a salvation, a salvaging of that marriage for the worldly perspective. But you don't. Well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to repent if you're not going to forgive me. 
Well, that shows that you don't have sorrow for what you've done anyway. If you have true sorrow for what you've done, you don't care if the other person repent or forgives you. You would like them to, but I'm going to do what is right to do, and I'm going to repent. And then the other person who was wronged, you know what? Even if this person doesn't repent, they don't <clears throat> they don't ever come to me with an apology or a a uh, really feeling sorry about it. God, I, I just I don't want you to hold this against them because of the things you didn't hold against me. So I'm going to I I'm going to forgive them in my mind. Well, all that does is settles one half of the issue. That settles it for you so that you'll be okay. Until the other person repents, it can't be complete. It can't be whole. But when you have both parties doing it for the right reason, then it can become whole again and you can save relationships, marriages, all kinds of uh, things by people instead of getting into an angry state of mind and saying stuff that you regret later on to not do that and to be able to recover from that. And you can, it is possible. People don't think that it's possible. A Confederate railroad song that we had listened to recently. When you leave that way, you can never go back. Well, only if you blaspheme uh, mother in faith, is that a true perspective? But in the world, what you, you leave that way because of some big blow up or some, you can go back, but in order for you to go back, if you were the cause of the blow up or you were cause of the issue, then you go back with repentance. You go back with the, the mindset and the heart of the prodigal son. That was a, that's a beautiful example of forgiveness and repentance right there that the father was always waiting for the return of the son because he had the willing heart to, to forgive him. The son went away and it wasn't until he was broken and destitute that he came back and his attitude when he came back showed the difference. He was contrite. He was like, I, I just want to be a servant of yours. I, I don't, I'm not looking for any favor from you. I just, I know that what I did was wrong and will you please take me back? And of course the father's like wide open arms cause he's got the heart of forgiveness. And that's a beautiful example that mother just brought to mind of these two things that <clears throat> are separate and individual to the person. But when both people in a situation carry out their side of it, it becomes whole and complete so that you do have the uh, the salvation or the uh, salvaging of whatever it was that was broken because now both parts have done their part to make it right. Why would my heart not want to be that, you know, uh, Sean, I really want to see you uh, accept the uh, what you've done, but even if you don't, I'm not going to hold it against you because I've done things against other people and I don't want them holding it against me. So I'm not going to hold it against you. So really important that people understand that these two things are independent to each individual person, but they work together for the wholeness of the relationship. 
And if you recognize that and you know that and you're, you carry out your part, okay, well, if the other person doesn't forgive you, you don't have to answer for that. See, because here's how it works. Both of them are damnable offenses, meaning that if, if you repent and you have true repentance and that repentance has carried over to God, then because you've repented, you will be saved. <clears throat> if somebody's been wronged and they have the true heart of forgiveness, that means they're obeying God and therefore they've already turned to God. And so because you've forgiven, you get entrance into the kingdom. But if you refuse to forgive somebody, whether they repent or not, then you will not get into the kingdom of God. If you refuse to repent, regardless of whether the person's forgiven or not, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. And it goes back to each individual where, and the word says where man is without excuse, God's taking away all the excuses. You can't blame somebody else for why you didn't get into the heaven. The reason you didn't repent to that person was because you didn't have it in your heart to have the sorrow to repent to that person, regardless of whether they forgive you. We live in a day and age where people, well, I want to see you're sorry before I'll forgive you. Well, I, I, I want to see that you're going to forgive me before I repent or before I turn back to you. And it's like, no, you do your own thing for, for your own good, meaning that this is what's the, the right thing and the best thing to do. And that's what I'm going to do because it's important because if you can't, if you don't forgive somebody, whether they've repented or not, then you don't show mercy. And if you don't show mercy, this is why if you don't forgive, that you will not be forgiven because if you don't show mercy, mercy cannot be shown to you. If God has given you uh, reprieve from your sin and has had mercy on you to forgive you in your repentance, but yet you don't want to forgive somebody else, then you're going to uh, strike yourself. You're, you're going to be removed from the book of life because you were trying to do it because of what somebody else did. And so it, this is just a huge perspective that when husbands and wives or friends or whoever it is get into a disagreement, that they should walk away before they say and do things that they, that, that they will regret and evaluate the situation. One, is this even worth it? Because most things aren't even worth the, the, the words that you say. It's just that you get in a state of mind in a fit of rage and you say stupid things and you do stupid things in that fit of rage. And that's why be self-controlled so that you can uh, not walk in that path. But forgiveness is just as important for the one who was wronged as repentance is for the one who did wrong. And this, this is a huge thing, and you can mend areas in your life, in relationships. I had, uh, after I had 
the um, circumcision of the heart, I had gone back to a, a gentleman that I had, and I've talked about this before, a gentleman that I had worked for. And when I went to him, I had recognized the way I behaved when I worked for him. And I recognized that that was not acceptable behavior. And I was, I I had sorrow for that. And when I went to him, I didn't, I didn't tell him anything about what he did when we were having a conversation. It was, my focus was, look, this is what I did. This was in this time frame that I was claiming faith and I was acting like this. I was shamed. Uh, I, I'm ashamed of that fact that I acted like that because I was wrong in what I was doing. And by the end of the conversation, he's breaking down in tears because, and he's accepting uh, responsibility for his side of whatever he did. But that wasn't my focus. I didn't go there looking for any kind of apology or any kind of forgiveness from him because I knew that this, what I had to do in the repentance perspective was necessary for me and my journey to be able to show worldly what has taken place godly, but you can do it in the the reverse as well. You do that in the worldly then you can transfer that to the godly to do the same thing to God because God is sitting there with the, we forgive you. God sits, God does not sit there with, we condemn you. No, no, you stand condemned, but you stand condemned. Doesn't say God put you there standing condemned. No, you stand condemned. Why? Because you refuse to love the truth and repent. The forgiveness is already there. Messiah died for that forgiveness to be there. But just because he died and that forgiveness is there, it cannot be complete until it's bound with true repentance, with, with a contrite heart that turns to God that's what binds it together. And when you bind that here on earth, it will be bound in heaven. If you don't bind that here on earth, if you loose it on earth, it will be loosed in heaven. And so those things are two separate things that have to be done from two separate sides. But when they are done from both sides, they become one entity. And that is I. Uh, the, the salvation or the salvaging of any kind of situation or anything that's going on. And the key is, is if you have, you find a way to do this in the worldly perspective, then evaluate the things that you're uh, discussing with your wife that uh, end up in controversies and being mad at each other instead of, you know what? I'm not going to say that thing because it might be taken wrong. And even if I intend it right, it might be taken wrong. So I'm just going to, for the sake of the relationship, I'm just going to hold it back. I'm not going to bring it out. Now, obviously if it's, if it's a faith issue and uh, you're, you're bringing something out to somebody that 
Yah wants brought out, then by all means, you do it. But you won't do it with any kind of malice. You won't be in a position to say things that you'll regret later on. And this is just a, it's a shame that even with the churched world today, people don't understand these two terms and how they fit and how they work because it's always about, well, I'll, I'll forgive you if you repent or some people will do it. Well, if I, I'll forgive you and then you'll repent. Well, if that's your mindset, then you're not forgiving them because you can completely forgive somebody and your part is done and the forgiveness is there. But without that person's repentance, it cannot be salvaged. And it's the exact same thing with God. Messiah came, he died for the sins of the world. That means that he came for the forgiveness of sins so that sin will be forgiven. And that's an absolute. But just those sins being forgiven will not get you into the kingdom because you have to have that repentance and that repentance with the forgiveness then gives you the ability to not sin to where you won't fall short of the glory of God. That, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if you sin, you fall short of the glory of God. If you fall short of the glory of God, you will not be in the kingdom. Why? Because you didn't repent. You didn't turn to God. You, you repented in pretense. You repented in the, well, this will, this will make me right before God if I do this. And no, you didn't do it with a contrite heart and a broken spirit that says, no, I wronged you, God, if you don't forgive me. Oh, mother just gave me another beautiful example of this. The uh, thief on the cross where he had a contrite broken brokenness. Look, I deserve, we deserve what we're getting. This is an innocent man. You, you need to stop saying what you're saying. Yeah, you're saying save us. No, I, what I'm saying is, I recognize who I am and I was wrong. Lord, I've been wrong. Just remember me. He didn't even ask him to forgive him. He said, remember me. And Messiah's forgiveness with his repentance, surely today you will be with me in paradise. And on the other side, because of a lack of contrition, and a lack of repentance, then we just talked about blessings and curses. So we can look at the thief on the cross, blessings and curses. You're, you're cursing the son of God saying that because of selfishness is we don't deserve to be up here. We didn't do anything wrong. And yeah, today you'll be with me in, in paradise. And, but if he didn't have that contrition, then it would just be like, yeah, and Messiah wasn't sitting there complaining about what was going on. The other guy was complaining, saying, and I could see this in the world, the selfishness of, you're the son of God. You have the power to get us down. Get us down out of here. What are you, what are you doing? And no, you don't understand there's a greater, me staying up here is a better benefit for you than, than what you can even imagine. I've got a, for those out there that like listening to music, there's a song that we just listened to the other evening that speaks to repentance beautifully. 
and it's from a few years ago. It's from a group called 10th Avenue North, and it's called Healing Begins. And the lyric of the song, we even had a video made of this for our church gathering. And it says, this is where the healing begins. This is where the healing starts. When you come to where you're broken within, the light meets the dark. And the of it was repentance is when you come to where you're broken within, you repent. And then the light meets the dark that you have, you turn to God and you have the light of God which there is no shadow in the light of God that you have forgiveness of sins, that you have forgiveness of sins. So move on to having the removal of sin because we're not holding this against you anymore, but go and sin no more. So I'm not holding this against you anymore. I've forgiven you of this, but don't do this anymore. Prove your life of repentance and obedience by not sinning anymore. And, just thinking about that song because the healing begins at repentance. I mean, really the journey of healing starts at seeking with all your heart, but actually to be able to partake of the healing of God, that yes, you do have a reprieve that you do have forgiveness of sins for a time, but that is not meant to stay in that because the word says that godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. So you still have um, a journey to go to lead to Messiah and then Messiah to mother. And I'm going to come back to something I said earlier about the ministry of reconciliation. And we've had this before that it came to mind that reconciliation is a three-step process. You have reconciliation to Abba through repentance. You have reconciliation to Yeshua with obedience and reconciliation with mother and trust, and that all comes full circle to where you're then, with circumcision of the heart, you are reconciled to God. As long as you don't turn from it, that you've got the full reconciliation of all those aspects, just like the one baptism in three parts, the perfection, perfecting in the three parts. So just another threefold aspect of this. But yeah, with these things that we talk about, they go so much deeper than just us telling you this. This is for those of uh, those listening and will listen that this is something to discover. But you really think about this is you look in the world and people love to see somebody on top. They like to see him fall and they like to see him come back up to the top again. And this is true in the athletic realm because I enjoy watching sports and you'll see an athlete that gets to the top and then they they have this big fall and everybody makes a big deal out of the fall, but you see uh, an aspect of the person is truly sorry and they repent and they, they'll cheer for that person to come back to the top again. And with the prodigal son example, it made me think of Yah and their throne is referred to as the mercy seat. Well, their desire is to have mercy, but no mercy will be shown to those who do not show mercy first. So in order to get forgiveness, you got to be willing to forgive somebody else because that proves that you have that heart of contrition, that you have that heart after God's own heart, that, that you have that heart of mercy. Because it made me think of Yah just, we know that by sin that you've left us, that you've left the way, or you never turned to us anyway. So we're, we're going to wait and watch. And the one that comes to us, You'll, you'll have 
a welcome into the kingdom, you come to the fullness of it, but be careful because this came up the other night that the other aspect of the prodigal son story is don't be in the family grumbling against somebody that left and well, why are they getting the, the big meal and the fatty calf for returning? Cause we, we've been here and we didn't leave and no, but you did because before you came to be in the family of God, you were just like this family member that left. So don't get upset because you could lose your place as well. Don't get upset. Rejoice that this person has returned, that your brother was lost, your sister was lost, and now they're found that it's a rejoicing time. You, know, you didn't see the father in that story, get all frustrated and say, yeah, you shouldn't have done this. And what's wrong with you? And yeah, you're going to learn now that you don't ever do that again. It was, no, I welcome you back because I see that you're truly sorry for what you did and you're really willing to change this. That's the heart of God. And shame on us if we're not looking at somebody and having mercy because did we forget that we've been forgiven our past sins? And the, I remember the word saying that, that, you know, you start getting prideful and stuff, you know, you forget that you've been forgiven of your sins. Don't hold that against somebody you tend to forget at times that you've been forgiven of what you've done. You forget that instead of how would you want to be treated when you didn't know the way of God, but would you want to be treated? And yeah, that's right. You should have done this earlier. And what's wrong with you? Or, Hey, glad to see you back. Good to have you that. And you said, this is that the word says that love will cover a multitude of sins, which repentance is a part of love that yes, repentance does cover a multitude of sins and it's good because it, it shows the faithfulness of God, but continue in the journey to find the fullness of faith because just having repentance and forgiveness of sins will not get you into the kingdom. Like you said, that you've got to continue in the fullness of it, but it, it starts the journey that it's not a, right to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. No, it it starts at seeking with all your heart and then repentance to God, because you've got to see God as a terror first to be able to repent and then walk in repentance and then obedience and in trust. When it comes to forgiveness and repentance, there's some enemies of those and the enemies of those are selfishness and entitlement and blindness because here's what happens. Somebody says something that hurts you, then you get blind to not think you don't start thinking, wow, that hurt. I'm going to make sure I don't say anything that hurts them. No, you that that you do that when you have a heart of uh, forgiveness. But what happens, and this is what you're programmed for in this life, is somebody says something to you, well, your just first reaction is, well, that's not right, and, well, and you attack them. And then... Their blindness turns and then they attack you. And it goes back and forth into a heated argument, anger, and fits of rage where people say and do things that when they come to their their normal mind again, oh, if I could just turn back time, 
if if, if I, I would change my ways and, and you'd stay. Yeah, because you get caught in the blindness of the moment of anger. And this is one of the greatest reasons to uh, stay away from anger the best you can because it will cause you to do things that you will regret later on, but you'll say things that you can't take back and you can't fix what you've already said. You can only fix so that you don't say or do it again. And uh, those are key factors in the midst of uh, looking at this as we uh, look at repentance and forgiveness because there's both parties not carrying out their side just leads to strife and anger and rage, which leaves destruction and not healing. The healing is when you catch yourself in a heated argument with somebody and you're like, no, I'm not going to say that because that's mean and that's going to hurt them. And this is just going to continue to spiral out of control. I'm not going to do that. <coughs> that both, you must in this life do both. And here's another thing. We, we get this, uh, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. We, we, we keep asking God to forgive us. As, as we walk in this world, why would you ask for God to forgive you? Because you know you were wrong, okay? That's the only reason you would ask anybody for forgiveness would be because you know you're wrong. So, so God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. And you don't have to ask for God's forgiveness. Messiah died on the cross. It's already there. God already has the forgiveness it's, it's sitting there. It's like a storeroom of forgiveness just sitting there. You don't have to ask God for forgiveness. They have forgiveness. You have to repent. Because the whole time you're saying, God, forgive me. I know I did wrong. God, forgive me. I, I, I know I wronged you. God, forgive me. God's sitting there saying, have contrition and repent. Have contrition and repent. Have contrition and repent so that the two halves can become whole because that's what it is. Forgiveness is half. It by itself, it, it cannot do what it's designed for. It has to be connected with the other half, which is repentance. And when you connect repentance and obedience to get, I mean, uh, repentance and forgiveness together, then you have perfect unity. And that's the objective goal. But that perfect unity cannot be found if you're doing what you're doing because you're trying to get the other person to forgive you or you're forgiving the other person because you're trying to get them to repent. And stop worrying about other people. Who can you save? You, right, you you can't save anybody but yourself. You can't even save yourself, but you can do the things necessary to line up with Messiah to have that salvation. So you can only do it for yourself anyway, no matter what you say, no matter how you push, no matter how hard you go at after somebody, 
you're not going to make a difference for them. And nor does it matter because when you stand in the white throne judgment, it's not going to be about anybody else in your life. It's going to be about you. And what did you do? And did you carry it out in appropriation? And did you love the way God said to love? And did you forgive the way God said to forgive? And did you repent the way God said to repent? That's what it's going to boil down to. And you will either uh, live eternal or burn eternal in accordance with what you lived out your life here as you were in the flesh here. And so it is really important to understand that if somebody wrongs you, it's not your responsibility to get them to repent at all. It's your responsibility to open up a door of forgiveness. No, I forgive you. If you do it a thousand times, I forgive you a thousand times. And Messiah was pairing these together when he said he was showing the wholeness of it when he said uh, he was asked, you know, how many times do I forgive my brother? Well, if your brother repents, then you forgive him seven times or 70 times, 70 times seven. It, you, you forgive. And what he was saying, he wasn't saying that, well, if the other person doesn't repent, you don't have to forgive. He was saying that this is how it becomes complete, is that you forgive, they repent, and now you guys have a unified relationship. And if you're truly unified with somebody, then you don't have the divisions. You don't have the anger. You don't have the hatred. You don't have the uh, uh, cutting back and forth. And we do these things in this life because we're programmed for selfish. We are programmed for it to be all about me and I'm going to love me, which means I'm going to make sure that whatever I do, I think is what's best for me. And the reality is, is that if you're going to love from the one definition that God gave of love through Corinthians chapter 13, is you're going to do it because it's what's best for everybody. You're going to be patient because it's best for everybody. You're going to be kind. You're going to be gentle. You're going to be self-controlled because these are the things that are beneficial for everybody. So whatever you do with somebody, if there's a rebuke or if there's you're bringing something to somebody's attention, you're doing it because it's the right thing, not because it hurts you or, well, you did me wrong and you need to know that you did me wrong. No. Nobody needs to know that they did you wrong. You need to forgive. They need to know that they did God wrong and repent on their side of it. So it's just a, a interesting thing how we, we bring together these two things that actually make a unified front. And you can do this to some degree in a worldly perspective. It will not maximize the effect that you can have in your marriage relationship or your friend relationships or your work relationships, but it will give you a place to, to improve and get a little bit better as you do it. If you want to optimize it, then you have to have the circumcision of the heart 
with God where selfishness is removed and you are truly doing the things because it's the right thing to do and because your concern is for everybody, not just self. And that that kind of evens the playing field and makes everybody equal because we don't die to self, we die to selfishness. And then everybody that dies to selfishness will see each other on a even plane, a, a equal playing field. And that plays into it as well. <clears throat> Where if somebody feels like they're not being treated fairly or equally, then that will bring in the blindness and the hatred and the anger and the fits of rage. And your best objective is to stay away from those things, but do it from the right perspective. Don't do it as a protection thing for yourself where you cave in and you hide in a, a hole in the ground and you cover yourself with the shield so that, well, no, I'm not going to let anybody hurt me. So I can't, um, if I don't let them hurt me, then I, I'll be okay. And no, you're going to be hurt by people, but it's all there to show you that how do you feel when somebody wrongs you transfer that to how God feels when you wrong them and how you wrong them because they are eternal. They are perfect. I am not, I'm of, of still of human nature and therefore, I'm not perfected yet, but they are. And if you do me wrong, so what? But you do God wrong, well, that ends you up in the abyss and burning eternal. And these are things that I want people who are seeking with all of their heart to know that you can put these things into practice as you're doing it. Now, if you're not seeking God with all of your heart, the odds that you're going to be able to use these things to benefit your life, maybe a little bit in the, the worldly training, but you're, you're not going to be able to do it to the degree that's necessary for a healthy relationship, whether it's marriage, friends, uh, uh, work relations, uh, uh, everything across the board. It's, these are huge and important things that we must learn that I don't care what anybody does to me, how they wrong me. I forgive them. If they repent, that's great for their soul. If they don't, then that's on them. But if I don't forgive, then that's on me. And that's if I'm the one that, was wronged. If I'm the one that did the wrong, then it works to the opposite perspective. So you can't put the blame. I can't blame you because you didn't forgive me. And therefore I didn't have to repent or you didn't repent. So I don't have to forgive you. <clears throat> no, the Bible makes it clear that both of those things are necessary for an entrance into the kingdom. Both of those things are necessary for a healthy unified relationship just in the worldly perspective and not, you know, again, not just husband and wife, but husband and wife, uh, children to parents, siblings all across the board. So it's just, uh, 
this is just another huge, and this is one of those ones that just kind of grabs my, uh, my thoughts of my heart, which, because if people know and know this stuff and apply it, it will not only help them in their worldly life, but it will help them to have that uh, place of salvation with God and live your part of this. And you will be on both sides at some point in time in your journey. There'll be many times you'll be on the the side to give forgiveness. And many times you'll be on the side that you need to repent. And you, it's up to you. You have to do the work and the diligence to figure out when and where and how you're going to carry that out. This just came to mind, <clears throat> and you could help me with this scripture. When Messiah said, by your words you'll be condemned, and by your words you'll be acquitted. And just made me think of that. Like, if you're not willing to, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing to where, yeah, you deserve this and you need to. Well, then that's going to be by your words. That And just made me think of that. And it's not in the the aspect of the, in the perfection of your words, but just like what you say, what you do speaks to. Father, have mercy. They don't understand. Well, then that will acquit you in the end. But if you say, no, you know, stone this person to death, they deserve it because they're not righteous. And it's like, okay, then you're going to be, no, Lord, don't stone me. No, it's coming back to you because you didn't have mercy. And now you're going to be stoned. So bind them up and put them in the abyss. And so it just came to mind that the words that come out of our mouth, and really it came to mind for me that really make sure the words that come out of my mouth are right, fair, and just, because by those words, it will be brought back to me to where if I say, no, I'm not forgiving you because you've wronged me. And yeah, I'm justified. And then before God, God says, remember when you didn't forgive that person? Oh Lord, I did. It. No, then you weren't. Why did you do that? And so it just makes me think, just be careful what we say, because words really can hurt even worse than actual physical actions that somebody can do to you. Words stay with people a long time, even a lifetime. And wasn't that displayed in the woman caught in adultery brought to Messiah where they were sitting there condemning her because of what she did without the heart of forgiveness and Messiah writing in the sand and all right, the, the one who has no sin cast the first stone. And, you know, you can only speculate what, Messiah wrote in the sand, but I'm pretty sure it was their sins that they had committed that <clears throat> he was writing in the sand. And when they saw their sin, oh, he knows about that. How'd he know about that? Okay. <clears throat> the one who hasn't sinned, cast the first stone. If you have done nothing wrong, then that that means that you didn't need mercy from God so you don't have to show mercy but they all walked away go ahead i am um, i just had something come to mind with that my mindset had always as far as i can know went to well with this aspect it, it it's showing us that yah's in the position that that because they're without sin that or messiah is the one that can throw the first stone but it just came to mind i was like wait a minute what what he's saying is is that okay that you're 
because if, if you're without sin, then that means you're keeping the law. So the law says, then go ahead and do it. But what does Messiah do? Then he didn't pick up a stone and stoner. Why? Because no, the, the, the written code was to, so that you would fear God and obey Abba. But the, the, the true reality of this is, is everybody before fullness of faith in Yah is standing before us and we have the rocks in our hand. And what did we decide to do? I decided to have mercy on you. So it just made me think of the bigger story here. Isn't that, yes, Messiah had the authority to stone. It was, no, this is the mercy seat that people are thrown before the throne of God and the heart of God isn't, okay, you're a lawbreaker, stone them. No, it was, that was to teach them holiness that, hey, this is serious and you're to keep my commands and to, to prove that. But then the true essence of this is we desire mercy in this. We desire to forgive but if you come before us in the end and you don't have repentance that you will be stoned. But the aspect was, it just made me think of the heart of, of Yah is no, we know you deserve the stoning, but we want to relent. But if you come before us like this, then you're going to be stoned. So just be careful how you come before us in this manner. So it just teaching me more about look at the life of Messiah that you have somebody come before you weeping and crying for mercy. I don't condemn you, but I'm telling you this, stop sinning versus somebody comes at you like that. You better be careful with what you're doing here in this situation. Right. Because in that story, it was a beautiful example of what we're talking about right here, where Messiah, he, he offered the forgiveness without repentance. He offered the forgiveness where you're, where are your accusers? No one has condemned you? Well, neither do I. Well, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Okay, repent. Okay, I've forgiven you. It's it's done. But in order for it to be full circle, Messiah was showing that you have to repent. If you want to uh, experience the forgiveness of God that is already there for you, you have to repent to God. And it has to be a true turn to God. How can you turn to God and turn away from sin and still live in sin? It's an impossibility. If you've turned away from sin, do you won't sin. If you've turned to God, you have circumcision of the heart. So I I just that came to mind as just, as you were talking there with that story as well that it was Messiah said I forgive you I don't condemn you go and go and sin no more repent so that this can become full circle so just uh, a beautiful thing Sean do you have anything else as we no, that was a, the only thing I had there was just the about the words uh, condemning you or acquitting you. All right, well, uh, I believe this is just to be another great aspect. We're not going to put, it's it's easy to get into something to say, well, man, this is the best, and this is the best. Now, anytime the truth of God is offered, it's the best. And again, I want to just reiterate what was said at the beginning of this podcast, that you're seeking God with all of your heart. You just... Go at it with diligence. 
just figure out how you can discover the reality of truth of God, because it's by your discovery. Don't just listen to what we say and do in accordance with that. Listen to what we say, seek the word, have conversation with Yah, discover it to be true, and then act on it. We don't want you to uh, try to put blame on us if, and not for our sake, but for your sake, because this truth is not ours anyway. It's God's, but you have to discover it for you to understand it. When you understand it, then you will be able to uh, walk in it and carry it out uh, from the best of your ability. So for this morning, uh, just another great opportunity to speak about the truth of God, and we will be back again on Tuesday evening at uh, 7.30, God willing, and we'll see what it is that Mother gives Sean to uh, have us talk about. And whatever it is, it will be a great opportunity, great conversation, and great opportunity for us to learn just as much as everybody else. So everybody have a good weekend, and we'll be back on Tuesday. Thank you for joining us today on Hidden Treasures Revealed. We want to leave you with this thought. The greatest treasure in life and especially in faith, is discovery. If we try to convince you of things, you may gain head knowledge, but if we let you discover things, you will have heart knowledge to know and understand and be able to give a good answer for the faith that you have. Treasure hunters seek treasure nonstop. Seek the treasure of God through conversation with them and through their word. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Seek the hidden treasure of God, and you will be blessed by it.